You know, so recently I talked to a friend, and this friend had been in a, a tough accident. And fortunately, the injuries, although significant, weren't life-threatening. And certainly the accident, the car accident, could have been much, much worse. I remember talking to him and just listening to him process all of it. Kind of one of those events, and you might have had this sort of event, an event that just changes a lot of things. That you sort through lots of things. It's kind of these moments where you have a personal tragedy or maybe even you feel a national tragedy and you kind of, it almost takes a few days for you to catch your breath and figure out, okay, what, what happened? What's going on? You know, the last several chapters of the book of Luke are somewhat of a whirlwind. They're quite chaotic. If you have your Bibles, could you turn them uh, to Luke chapter 24? And several of you have picked up Bibles in the back. It'll be on page 610 if you picked up one of those in the back. So Luke chapter 24. So Luke 24 is the last chapter of Luke's account of the life of Jesus. And there's just rapid fire action toward the end of this book. The final days of Jesus' ministry happen. He cares for so many people, especially the marginalized, especially kind of the the people that everybody else would cast out of society Jesus would move toward. And he taught and, and he spent a lot of time with the people that were closest to him. In the last few chapters of Luke, you have the the betrayal of Jesus. And you have the actual crucifixion of Jesus and the burial of Jesus. We read earlier in Luke 24 of the resurrection of Jesus and we didn't read a portion that talks about Jesus walk uh, on the Emmaus road with the disciples. Kind of this first encounter with the resurrection of Jesus. So you're going through Luke and there's just this rapid fire and I, that's what I sense as I read the portion of scripture that we're going to look at today is that Luke is somewhat kind of landing his story, bringing out some of the most significant things. Because this is a story, this is a story that truly changes everything. And Luke wants to make sure that we get that. What, what really changes? How can we say that there is a story, an event, something that actually changes everything for the whole world? Let's look at it. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 24 and verse 36. So it says, as they, meaning the disciples, were talking about these things, these things, meaning the resurrection of Jesus. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Well, they were startled. They were frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. They thought they were looking at a ghost. But Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? We're we're going to look this morning at why this story changes everything, but the top of that list is the story that we read, the story of the resurrection, is the story that brings immediate peace. And that's what Jesus said, right? This is a story that can bring immediate peace. So Jesus walks into this room and he says, peace to you. These are the first words of Jesus to his disciples in in perhaps what might have been the most chaotic week of their life. 
So, so their life is, is going crazy at that moment. And Jesus comes in and says, peace to you. That probably is not what they were expecting. So remember, these are the disciples who had forsaken their master and fled. Remember that these are the ones who had broken promises. Remember, these are the disciples that had all forgotten their, you know, bold professions of faith. One of these disciples is one who actually denied Jesus three times, and they all had been cowardly. And so maybe they weren't first expecting these words from Jesus. Maybe they were expecting to be reprimanded by Jesus. We got some, you know, we've got something to talk about here. But Jesus comes into this room and he says, peace to you. When he appears, they're, they're clearly perplexed, they're worried, they're startled, they're frightened. Jesus appears suddenly and inst- instantaneously and miraculously. And he says, peace. But if, you, if you've read the whole book of Luke, actually you're not surprised that these are the words that come out of Jesus' mouth. So in Luke chapter 1, before Jesus is even born, there's a prophecy that Jesus will guide people into peace. And when Jesus is born in Luke chapter 2, remember the angels? Say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. As a matter of fact, when Jesus would heal, often when he would heal the marginalized women of society, who their whole life is shaped by their, their brokenness, sometimes physical, sometimes spiritual. He would say, you can go in peace now. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday that we celebrated last week, the crowd says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. So it's no surprise. It's no surprise to me at all that Jesus would say to those disciples, peace. This peace didn't come cheaply. It didn't come easily. It came through a brutal death that accomplishes peace for us. And because of what Jesus has done, he can say, peace, no need to panic. Have you had those moments? Likely some of us had them this week where we kind of sense our anxiety levels rising. Blood, pe- blood pressure, maybe even physical. I mean, we just feel like this is a situation, maybe circumstances are, are, are different than what we'd expect or maybe there's a change that we're confronted with or maybe there's a decision that has to be made or maybe there's something that just seems to be wrecking our world and inside we, we begin to feel the anxiety and we begin to feel maybe even similar to what these disciples is they're, is they're frightened, they're scared and, and in that moment... Actually, we find what we are looking for deeply, and that is one who can speak peace. Peace is so needed. I look at this world, and you know, you just watch the news this week, and Brussels is yet a reminder. We live in such a broken world, a world that needs the Prince of Peace to come back, to rule and to reign. But I don't even have to look at Brussels. I have, all I have to do is look at my own heart and how easily I can get worried and anxious and troubled about a lot of things. And that's where I need to hear the word of Jesus say, peace. He alone can bring it. What's so interesting to me is that Jesus, Jesus says peace and it's not, 
as if he says, because you're not doubting anymore, I'll give you peace. But actually, he says peace in the midst of disciples who are confused and are doubting. Doubts are rising in their heart. That should mean something to us. I've had conversations with, with friends and, and they say, Curtis, you know, I, don't, I don't know that I'll ever be a really good Christian because I have doubts. I'm, I'm plagued with doubts. I'm, I have doubts about Christianity. I have doubts about my own life, about my own, my own walk with the Lord. I, I, I'm troubled with doubts and I don't know that you know, I could ever be a good Christian. Maybe I'm not even a Christian if I have these doubts where I'm not sure. I don't see it like all coming together really easily. I can't put it all together exactly like I want to. But Jesus meets the disciples where they are and he will meet you where you are, doubts and all. Yeah, church isn't this collection of people that suddenly have all doubts erased. All it takes is one event and we begin to ask questions in our own heart and in our own mind and we, we begin to wrestle with these things and Jesus comes just as he did then and he, and he comes and he says, peace to you. And maybe the, the question we need to ask is like, how does Jesus reassure them? So he says peace, but how does he reassure them of that peace? Look at verse 39 where, where Jesus speaks to them. And this is what Jesus says specifically to give them peace. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. You can go ahead and touch me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and, and they were still disbelieving for joy. I, I can only take that to mean like they, they thought it was too good to be true. They're still not quite sure do they go all in because... If this has really happened, it is the story that changes everything. So they still disbelieve for joy and, and were marveling. He says to them, do you have anything to eat? So they give him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. The resurrection story changes everything, not only because, because Jesus brings immediate peace, but he brings immediate peace because he is a real person. I hope you know that about this story. Because Jesus seemed very, very intent on them not assuming this was like a, a mirage or some figment of their imagination. We have loved ones that we, we say, you know, well, they'll, they'll always kind of be with me. And by that we mean, you know, they're close to us, they're in our thoughts, we think about them a lot. Yeah, Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus is saying, I'm really present. And he engages the senses, doesn't he? He says, you look and you touch. It is I myself. He eats in front of them. He speaks in front of them. He reassures them that I am alive. And, th and there's something challenging here because it's a different sort of body than we're familiar with on earth, right? So in the brokenness of earth, we see kind of a, a body that has certain limitations and certain dimensions, but, but the body that Christ has... Don't get tripped up by this. It's actually a body that can live in the dimension of heaven and the dimension of earth and can live in both quite comfortably. So he can eat and he can instantaneously appear. And this is exactly what the Lord has promised as heaven comes down and a new Jerusalem comes down and, and, and merges with earth and there's something new going on. And this is the kind of body that Jesus has, one that feels at home in heaven and at, 
and at home in earth, on earth. They think it's too good to be true. They disbelieve because of joy. They're not sure what to make of all of this. But what they do know for certain is in front of them is a real person. It's so easy to think of religions, even Christianity, as ideas and concepts and thoughts and miss the fact that it is all about a real person. So at the heart of Christianity isn't a set of self-help tips. If you want those, you can find those. There's plenty of them. All you need to do is follow some clickbait that will tell you four mistakes you're probably making right now. Or three steps that to help you take control of your life or seven things you better avoid as a parent or five ways you could be more productive. If you want that stuff, you can find that stuff. It's actually not that hard, but, but this is something different, isn't it? It's not tips and ways and solutions and four of this and three of this. It's a person that we encounter. It's a person who's the center of our faith. It's so personal. It's not uncommon even for those of us who've been in church a lot, even those of us who've been baptized, to think it's kind of just a religion and I can kind of do without that. But then there are those moments where you encounter not just the concept or an idea, but a real person who says, it is I myself and it's Jesus Christ. Could it be that you have a grasp of religious ideas. But you've never had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Could that be you? What would need to change in your life today to have an encounter with a person who is the Savior? Jesus is a real person and he actually takes a moment to explain exactly what he has done and what he's doing. As a matter of fact, look at verse 44. Continue, this story unfolds. Jesus says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. So you got scared disciples going, What's going on? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what's going on. I've already, I've already spoken to you about this. When, when I was still with you, I said that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's basically your whole Old Testament. All of that had to be fulfilled. And And it's about me. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Interesting, Christianity isn't this just amazing experience, but it's actually something that engages our mind, that engages our heart. It's not just something we feel. It's a truth we encounter that addresses our mind and our heart. And Jesus begins to open their minds so they understand something. What he helps them realize is that this story that changes everything is a story connected to a bigger picture. Something much bigger. Sometimes you get a a couple pieces of information and something doesn't make sense to you. But then you read about it further and you go, oh, well, those other pieces of information help me see a much bigger picture. Well, now it makes sense. I think that's what happens as Jesus explains. Sometimes we don't always connect the dots. Speaking for... You know, the male side of the species, sometimes we don't get the bigger picture, right? 
We don't see everything and, and we miss things. We miss things sometimes because we're just blinded by pride and we don't see them. Sometimes because we, we have prejudice. We prejudge something and we, we miss a bigger picture that's going on. Sometimes it's just because we're human. And, and it would be possible to look at, at a, a particular holiday like Easter and, and actually see, okay, great, Jesus rose from the dead and actually miss the story of the universe. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. He says, I told you this would happen. You had an idea what God was doing. And so he helps them understand the scriptures. He, he helps them have the true interpretation. He says, all of what the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms were saying, all that is completed. It's fulfilled in me. All of history, every story points to something better yet, someone. And that someone, Jesus says, is me. As much as, like, my life matters, as much as sometimes I can go throughout the day thinking I'm the center of the universe, then you encounter something like this. And it reminds us, no, ultimately, while our story matters, while our life matters, there is another story that fills out a much bigger picture that actually starts with the first humans made in God's image, made to live in God's world, who rebel. This is the story. Who rebel against God and who go their own way. And God sets out on a rescue effort to bring them back to himself. He makes promises. He gives us a taste of of what those promises look like in the people of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes. The story of God's work, keeping those promises, providing a way of rescue, a way to be delivered, a way to be free from shame, a way to be free from guilt, a way to be everything that God meant for us to be, a way to be reconciled to God, not distant. So have you, have you seen your story in light of the bigger picture? This is a story that changes everything. There's some stories that as you read... You can read them and process them, and they don't really change much of anything. But look at verse 45. So we said earlier, he opened, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he says to them, now he quotes from, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And he looks at those disciples, and he says, You are witnesses. So seeing this bigger picture leads to something. It's because this story that changes everything is a story that leads to a mission that goes actually global. It's a global mission. This bigger picture of what God has done in Jesus Christ actually means that those who follow Jesus, like many in the room would claim to, we have a mission, we have an assignment. It's a powerful thing to participate in something important and that's exactly what Jesus says you're doing. As you follow him. Sometimes you, you can get kids to do what you want them to do by, by telling them, you know, I, I need you to, this is a very important thing for you to be involved in. I need your help. And there's a sense of responsibility and ownership. There's other expressions of that. I was down in my basement looking through some old kind of 
family archive stuff, and I saw my Grandpa Hill's book of when he was in World War II, and and the division he was in put together this book that told about their mission in the Pacific Ocean and all that they did and how they worked together to accomplish some things. But you know what? The Bible is a story of the followers of Jesus who now are witnesses. They, they tell what they know to be true and they tell everyone. What's being said here is that Christ had to suffer. The Messiah And it's somewhat shocking. The Messiah, the one who would be in charge, the one who would rule, the one who would save, is the one who actually went through weakness and humiliation, but then rose again. That message had to be proclaimed. It's interesting. In in verse 47, it says, repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed. Isn't that saying? That's saying something that I hope you believe in. That is everyone. All nations should know about the forgiveness of sins. Everybody should know. If God forgives people, if God forgives sinners, then wouldn't you agree with me? Everybody should know about that. Scripture talks about our sin as something that makes us guilty before God, but but we're forgiven of that in Christ. Everyone should know that. Scripture speaks of sin as something that, that makes us ashamed, that, that we actually carry shame, that, that distances us from God, but God forgives us. Everyone should know about that. Everyone should know about forgiveness. Everyone should know about repentance. Repentance is this kind of turning away, turning from something, turning to Christ. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Repentance is used with believing, faith, and, and obedience, and Jesus says, you have a mission. You follow me, you have a mission. Make sure people know about forgiveness and make sure people know they can turn from even their own self-righteous plans. Make sure they know. Go tell them. Sometimes people wonder, why do Christians have to share their faith? It's because Jesus told us to. He gave us this global mission. He didn't just give us a mission, but he also gave us power to accomplish the mission. Look at verse 49. He says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. You stay in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. We're continually in the temple blessing God. See, this is a life-changing story because it's a story of the powerful presence we still have. So Jesus leaves, but he says, I'm going to clothe you with power. And we compare that with other scriptures and we realize, okay, what he's talking about is the Holy Spirit is going to come and fill us with power. He's going to send a promise to us and that promise is the Holy Spirit. We'll have power. We'll have power to do the right thing. We'll have power to know the right thing. The Holy Spirit means we have power over sin. Power to see change. And not just the change that's like, well, I'll do better and try harder and I'll have some good initiatives and I'll try to be on my best behavior, but really power that changes us from the inside out. That makes us more loving and more patient, more kind, more controlled. As Jesus leaves, he promises that the Holy Spirit of God 
would be present in us. Be almost like being clothed with something. This really isn't, I mean, we come to the end of Luke and it really isn't, it really isn't the ending, is it? Because it really just seems like it's the beginning of something. Because these disciples, they don't sense anything has ended. They actually sense that something has started. And so they, they do what Christians have been doing for a long time. They, they come together and they have this joy-filled community worshiping God. And that story continues to this day. Looked at a lot of different things in Luke. A lot of different ways this story changes everything. But a question that I have now is like, what happens in your life? What happens in my life? What does this story mean for you? Or is it just like a a train you watch passing that once it gets out of your way, you can get to where you're going? Or is there something more going on? You know, for those, I would imagine there are many in this room who have met Jesus in a very personal way. You've trusted in him for your salvation. Our hearts can be filled, can be filled with praise knowing he's given us a mission and he's actually an assignment and he's given us power to accomplish the assignment. We're witnesses for him. What an awesome thing. We can live our life knowing what he's done for us and knowing he's commissioned us. Until he comes back or until we breathe our last breath, we've got a, a mission to make sure people know about him. But maybe you come in and you're taking the time, really, some of the first steps to really encounter Jesus as a person, not a religion. And today might be the beginning of faith for you. You might be just like these disciples, not all the answers. But what you've seen and what you know to be true means life has to look different. Maybe you've never articulated that publicly. Maybe you've never told a friend, but today you know something's happened, something's changed. Maybe you, maybe you feel compelled to call out to the Lord and confess that you believe in him. You believe in what he's done for you. You believe he can save you from your sin. Maybe today you'll take those first steps of following Jesus. If you have a, a Christian friend that you could talk to more or well, certainly any one of the pastors on staff here would love to talk with you more, whether that's today or whether that's in the upcoming week. But I really believe today could be the day you encounter the story that changes everything. Can I ask you to bow your head? The story that changes everything, I hope it's changed you. What I like to do is I'd like to pray. Pray for you that as God is taking his word and and you're thinking about it. You're thinking about what this means for your life, your future, your mission, your salvation, that God would open your mind so that you might understand what he's teaching. Father, thank you for this day where we come face to face with a Savior who's alive. I pray that you would help us understand. I pray even for, for friends that are not certain of everything, not Bible experts, but are feeling you do something in their lives. Pray that you would open their minds to understand the truth. They might not just keep that to themselves, but I, I do ask that you would move them to talk to someone about it. Father, thank you for this day where we celebrate 
your amazing grace and your amazing power. Or give us hope and help as we cry out to you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.